This is advertising content. Aloha, here talking pictures with Paul Booth. We want to thank you and let you know that all October episodes are brought to you by the party game Get Crude. Get Crude is get your crew together. You're the producer. You need an actor and a director. You draw cards. You got to make sure that there's not flash floods. Maybe your sets will be destroyed. Maybe you'll get seasick. Heck, there could even be a writer's strike. Man, do we know all the stuff that goes crazy in the film business. This game is for ages 13 and above. Best with three to eight players. For all you want to know about the game, getcrude.com go to g-e-t-c-r-e-w-d.com that's right paul you can buy the board game get crude at getcrude.com today now back to our podcast talking pictures with paul booth and that's what i call advertising content You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. Man, I am happy to be here today. We're going to be talking with Checo Varese, uh, ASC. He's a wonderful cinematographer. He's shot multiple episodes of Jack Ryan on Amazon. He shot the great film 33 about the Chilean miners. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing Dope Sick, currently on Hulu. Uh, the first four episodes are up. There's eight total. Man, this show is going to blow your mind. It's about the op- opioid crisis in America, which sadly turned into a global crisis. Uh, but this story, this, first of all, this I loved this show because it had Michael Keaton. It had Rosario Dotson, and it just gives you every point of view with detail, extremely research detail, and not just opinions. So with that, we're going to get into talking with Shaco. I guess the first question would be, how do you do something like this where there's obvious no cooperation? Well, the writer, showrunner, and director of the last two episodes, and, and creator, Danny Strong, he pursued this show for a few years, I guess, um, he had a massive amount of research. Um, public, he did interviews with victims, he did interviews with people that wanted to talk. He knows every buried body in the closet. Um, most of it is public. And during the shoot, not physically there, but available, we had legal, technical, and, 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 and advisors of any sort, just to make sure we were, first of all, setting, setting the, the show in the right format, political and, and ideological format, but also making sure we were truthful in every step of the way. Because one of the things the big pharmaceuticals have, as you know, it's a very long arm of lawyers and, and, and money that could could pretty much sink a project or could make trouble. Um, we went through the extent of, of really making, he went through the extent of really making sure everything you see can be backed up. To the level of, I remember one time we had a, a, a graph on set and Danny, and it was pretty far, it was in the background. And Danny said, oh, this graph is the one that we cannot use because it's not accurate. So let's point the other way while we print another graph. So it was really, really meant to be something that he could stand strong, like his last name, and in the middle of a square and, and say, everything I said is real and is clear. Okay, so the... So that the characters when it would be fictional names, but they're ba- like Rosario Dawson would be based on someone specific. Well, I think like in any in any narrative and in any 
project, you, you combine characters, maybe Rosario Dawson, I don't know exactly, and I don't want to say something I'm not aware, I do believe Rosario Dawson is based on a real character. I do know that the person that authorized and it, um, uh, then the, the label non-addictive class two opioid uh, was based on a real character and, and he truly went and worked for Purdue Pharma as soon as he left the FDA. Um, probably the prosecutors are a combination of characters, two or three more. I know the Purdue Pharma uh, crowd, it's based on real characters um, with real right. names. Well, I, with Rosario, oh, sorry, sorry, good. Well, I, I know what I liked about Rosario Dawson was, and I know there's so many different, I mean this in the nicest way possible, the various words, whether it's Latina, Latina X. Um, I really liked episode five. I won't mention the other connection to episode five, but was that kind of spun around that it needed to be a strong Latina director? No, actually, the behind-the-scenes conversations where Danny wanted wanted Patricia Regan to direct a few more episodes, and uh, and then it turned out to be that availability and things. So I don't believe so. Uh -huh. I don't believe so. Or maybe it seemed like a dead I don't know. That's a question for Danny. I'll give you his number. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Hold on, I got my Yeah. <laughs> what do I, I, I love this because this leads me into something that I really, really noticed that you do, and I... I don't have the specific technical terminology, but it seemed like so many of your uh, lighting changes and tones were almost kind of like they were supposed to meet that Purdue is kind of creepy. It's darker when the girl, um, Caitlin Deaver, you know, the junkie, the lighting gets darker and darker as she's going down her hole. Was that specific to like gear and or was it just kind of let's set a tone for what we feel for the characters well you start a project by by reading it or liking it and and when i read it i i thought it was a very important thing a very important project to tell the story about you know it was a very poignant story it's very timely more more people have died of, of opiate overdose than, than you, you combine, I think, cigarettes and, and car accidents in a year or something like that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to quote right, things yeah. that I don't know, but it's, it's a tragedy that hits. And it's, it's a tragedy that is specific. If you were to take illegal drugs, you know, there are like tragedies in Netherlands, there are tragedies in Italy, there are tragedies in Germany. Everybody copes with illegal drugs. When you're talking about opioids, this is a specific tragedy of the United States. You know, right. um, it's the only country where the most trusted person in your life, other than your priest or rabbi or 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 moedin, um, gives you something that is going to kill you. You know, it's the only right. country where your doctor prescribes, pushed by the system or pushed by ignorance or pushed by greed. You don't know. We don't know. Um, so it's it's a native specific to this system, and um, when when you get a story like that, you start thinking, so how do I make it? You know, and Danny had very strong opinions about making it real and not and not taking the audience out of the realism of the the story, but at the same time. You, you as a cinematographer want to follow the story with an arc. And, and we created an arc for these three circular circles of, of people. You know, in the first circle, you have the victims, whether it's the doctor, whether it's the minor, whether it's Caitlin Bieber, his family, her family, sorry. Uh, the young kid that, that, that get hooked uh, because he had an accident or the other one that, that, 
got hooked because it was cheaper than heroin, you know? Um, so that's one circle of people. And, and we applied a, sort of like a more contrast and in, in a, a little bit more on a blue hue and colder because also it's winter, it's in a mining town. So it felt appropriate. Then there's the other circle, the circle of the, the civil servants, you know, the, the, the prosecutor, the DEA, the, the people that tries to, not unlike the election board in a little county, tries to make democracy work. Well, this tries to make the, 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 the legal system work, you know, and they're, they're like ants. They, 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 out, they work and work and work uh, to pursue a goal. And that was a little cleaner, a little more distant at the beginning. And then the Purdue Pharma, which is represented by the Sackler family, which are the, the uber rich that travel in limousines and own museums or finance museums, exhibitions. Um, that was more in the gold tones and, and, and sort of the aspirational at the beginning, and then it gets darker. So there is an arc to every single one of the characters. And the arc wanted to be possibly as more realistic as possible, you know. Um, towards the later episodes, when, when our heroes, the prosecutors, try to, to keep working and working and working, then all of a sudden, they work at night, so their office is less lit and the lights are less lit and there is a practical or a little sort of desk lamp in the corner that lights only the face. So you start pushing the boundaries of, of not reality, but you start pushing the boundaries of look. And that's sort of the arc of the story. But it also has to be followed by the camera and has to be followed by lighting. Oh, okay. No, because I really noticed these distinct changes that you're talking about and how it makes sense that it's at night the story starts to get a little bit darker um and i really love what you guys did with the truth of it because i've seen multiple documentaries so i can see what you were saying about uh the showrunner wanting to be dead on not just because he's afraid of lawyers but to present to the people who haven't followed this, uh, the real truth. Now, in this material, when you when you first read it or you're first going through it, I'm assuming that at the point you get it, you don't know that there's going to be Michael Keaton or you, you don't know who you're working with, correct? Usually you don't know. Michael Keaton was attached to the process, to the project from the beginning. So I sort of knew, but you don't, at least as a cinematographer, I don't, to me, Michael Keaton is not Michael Keaton, he's Dr. Phoenix, you know? Oh, right, right. And then eventually he becomes Michael Keaton on the last day of the shoot when he hugs you and says, thank you so much, I hope I see you soon. You know, Rosario Dawson is not Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson is a a very powerful and strong DEA agent. And Peter Sasgard is <clears throat> a very perseverant prosecutor. So you don't relate people. I actually, most, most of the time, don't even call them by name. I call them by their... When you mention, yeah, Dr. Phoenix enters here, you don't say Michael Keaton enters here, you know. You say in the morning, hey, Michael, how are you? And as soon as he's on set, he's Dr. Phoenix, you know? Okay. So so where I was going with that was that the um, challenges in the material, I'm kind of wondering what your process is. Is it just, like you were saying, it's not Michael Keaton. So I'm wondering how any artist organizes an initial anger they have with Big Pharma. We won't get into the government anger of this, but the sadness of a junkie. How do you separate that? Well, I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know if one can separate the nightmares you have at night when you sleep in the subconscious. I do know you can separate the conscience because if not, firemen couldn't save people from fires and, and, and doctors couldn't operate on their patients and, and, and 
so forth and so on. I think you, you do separate, then you get PTSD and then you have to go to a therapist and then, you know, life goes on. Right. You do separate in the, in, in the actual work environment because if not, you can't, you know, a rape is not a rape, you know. Then when you finish the scene, you go back and, and, and you think of all these women that were raped or all these people that died of overdose. But during the actual process, there is, there is a patina of technicality that is your shield. And though the sympathy for the character has to exist, because if not, I cannot transmit it, or the antipathy to the character has to exi exist, because if not, I cannot transmit it to the audience. One of the first rules is, if I don't believe it on set, you won't believe it on your living room. You know what I mean? So, oh, okay. so you have to have that, but at some point you have to separate yourself from those things to be able to continue working. You know, I, my origins are a news cameraman. Uh, I was a war correspondent for many years. And unfortunately you create a separation between what is in front of the lens and what is inside your soul, because if not, you cannot keep going. Right. For the obvious multitude of reasons, this is such a heavy show. I had, I don't know what the uh, the EBCOM rep had told you, but I've I had an aunt overdose from op opioids, and so to see it happening to the kids was just really heavy duty. It was just like wow, there's not the life pain or there that question of why are people doing it. What makes them think they need the, to walk that edge of life, you know, where one pill could kill you, you know? So I'm, I liked that this show brought up other questions. Um, I mean, it's like we're going to get into a big Purdue discussion here, but uh, I really liked the way you guys treated it both with your camera, with your spirit and storytelling. I liked that for myself, I could have opinions of them. You weren't telling me who I had to like, dislike, other than obvious reasons. So I really want to do, say that I admired that about your work. Well, that's a homage to, to the directors, and that's a homage to Danny Strong. Um, one of the things that, that is very important to remember is that we were a crew during COVID. We were like probably 120 people, not all of them in the same place, but, you know, the drivers, the office, PAs, and, 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 and the crew. And after day five, you started hearing, yeah, my brother overdosed, and yeah, my aunt overdosed, and yeah, my peer, my my friend in college overdose. Yeah, I was addicted and it took me a year of cleaning. Everyone, everyone. Fortunately, other than me, and I was born in another country, I'm from South America, so my childhood friends have other problems, not that one, you know. But, but everyone had an issue and everyone had a story. So this is going to touch a lot of people. And one thing Danny told me, uh, as you know, the, the, the settlement on the Purdue lawsuit just happened a few weeks ago. Uh, and in that settlement, they have to pay $4 billion to certain counties or communities in 10 years. If you know a little bit about math, they can pay that with the half of the interest they're going to get on the money they have. So it's not that they're going to have to sell the airplanes and anything, you know, they'll still be one of the richest families in the world. Um, but it touches every single person in the community. And that's the beauty of it. And what Danny was saying the other day that he hopes this is some kind of a closure for some people, at least to see the culprits and to see the people that try to fix the issues, you know, and I'm sure there is going to be consequences, not for Purdue, but hopefully for the future of, well, and 
I don't know if it's the right place to say it, but the future of capitalism and greed, because this is all about making money and shareholders. This is nothing to, or not even shareholder because it's a private company, but this is all about making money, you know. And, right. and you can apply the same to this, the tobacco industry. You can apply the same to the oil industry that they knew they were polluting the planet in 1962, you know, and they kept going for 70 years. Um, this is about the, 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 the mining industry in little towns in Brazil that they know they're polluting the, 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 the rivers, but Brazil or Indonesia, it doesn't matter. But they, they buy the local authorities. It, this is all about greed. And, and right. unless we actually address the fact that this is all about money and it's all about making money, this is not going to change. There is going to be a new Purdue tomorrow morning, and there actually are. And there's going to be a new uh, uh, tobacco industry. They, they actually are called vape. There's going to be a new uh, uh, oil and gas industry, and we're going to find that, you know, everybody knew that whatever system is more pollutant than another one. But it's all based in money and greed. You know, if, if your point in life is to buy your new car and not to help your neighbor, then then we're going to be in the same boat tomorrow morning, you know? Right. It's almost, it's almost the whole thing is an addiction, right? Like the addiction to money or it's power or it's, it, it could even be in a skewed way, power for the good. I mean, you're not saying it, but I'm going to say there's, there is drug enforcement people that just like the power. I don't think they're really in it to make sure that I have good health. I think they like that they can, do certain things. And again, I'm saying that you're not. Um, but I can tell you just on an inside what this story's done, which there is in the the show talking about, is this going to take away necessary medicine? My father literally broke his hip, needed two or three rods. And in Kentucky, he's a couple hours from where this started in West Virginia. They told him he could have five days of pills. The guy couldn't walk. He couldn't get out of a chair or bed. But because he lived in an area that was so bad, they were like, sorry, we don't know what to tell you. And it was so hard to watch a guy who couldn't get up, who would be moaning and crying in pain, obviously wasn't snorting him or selling him. And I was just like, God, I don't know how to watch this. So that was a kind of interesting. I loved that your show touched on that. Well, yes, but it's also a subproduct of. I mean, we can go into an eight-hour podcast about. Oh, of course. My <laughs> opinions about the the health system in this country. Oh right. But, but if you know that in Germany opioids don't exist, and the equivalent of your father in Germany has help at home and has other means of controlling pain, whether it's acupuncture, whether it's a drip of some other vitamin or whatever it is that is not opioid, then you have to understand that it's a unique problem of a system that is based on making money. There is the, the, I have a specific uh, and I'm not making a, 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 an ad about this, but I have a specific issue with my meniscus, and both meniscus have to be replaced Ooh. and, and sorry, taken out. But that means 10 years later, you get uh, knee replacement, and 15 years later, and I'm 60, so at 75 or 80, I will have to replace my hip. There is an alternative to that. There are like many, many ways to control it and fix it, but those many ways are not money makers. You know, right. you, you, you apply some specific injection directly on the meniscus and the meniscus grow back by itself. Is it being proof? Yes, it's been proof. Is it FDA approved? No, because FDA, it's desired to fulfill the, the, the big pharma system and then it's uh, a knee replacement is $75,000, an injection to try to heal my meniscus is 250. So. Nobody wants me to spend 250, they want me to spend 75,000. So 
I'm sorry for your father, but if your father were to live in Dresden in Germany, he would probably be angry and unhappy because it's a very sad place, but he would have other means of curing it. The means are directly related to the money-making process. And that's, oh, what, no, yeah, and yeah. that's what is tragic about this whole thing. You know, and I and I'm a cinematographer. I don't know. I'm I'm not a specialist in this. I just learned what I learned in nine months of working in 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 Dobzik. Well, speaking of health, that leads us right into. Uh, we've only had one other guest who could explain some stuff to us, but since you guys did it, I mean, what was COVID shooting like, and these tears and all that stuff? Well, I have to say we were very well protected by whether it's production, the studio or, or, or the people that were with us. We were very, very well protected by our own desire to keep working and not make mistakes. Um, we were in Virginia. We was a state that started vaccinating earlier, uh, but it was a nightmare. You, you work with a mask and you work with a shield. So communication, it's an issue. You have a, a, an army of young people with a blue vest in this case that comes and says, please put your mask on, please, you know, maintain social distancing. Sorry, sorry, you cannot drink inside the set. You have to go outside. And their, their perseverance and the crew's patience and understanding made it in a way that we didn't have any stopping of work. There was a, one false positive in 120 days of shooting. Uh, and the false positive was isolated and quarantined and treated, not treated, sorry, and tested. And 24 hours later, after five tests, they said, okay, one of the five tests was positive, the other four were negative, keep some distance, but we're fine. Okay. And, and that's an homage to the people that help us, the kids that were there with the blue vest, and an homage to the crew that made sure they were responsible, you know? So how did... The, like you're saying, the communication, how does that work for those, I guess, intimate moments when you need to talk with the director and everyone doesn't need to hear it, or people who aren't even within six feet need to hear it? How did that affect the process? Well, you start learning. You know, you, you, you start learning to interpret eyes instead of smiles. You start learning to, to ask the director to go and, and, and you talk to go up like six feet and you talk to him by whispering in his ear, facing the other way. So it looks like you're not breathing on him. And it's very frustrating, especially for the directors and the actors. You know, I, I find myself being able to sort of communicate in a whispery way, in a different way, but directors and actors have to have a means of communication that are more traditional, and that was a challenge that I think they overcome beautifully, but that was a challenge, you know? And I think it's a challenge that is gonna stay for a while, you know? I think we, we're not getting rid of masks, we're getting rid of shields, but, but we're testing and, and we're careful and people remind each other of health, you know? And I don't think, I think we adapt to that, you know? The, the film right. industry is a very creative and very resilient cruise, you know, and we adapt to circumstances. I mean, you shoot in the snow and 40 degrees below, and you shoot in the summer in the snow, in the water, in the sand, and you adapt to that. You know? I, I like what you're saying about the communicating with the eyes, because I'm something that I just, in the normal world, realizing now you kind of don't know how some people look at or look like you don't know if they're frowning at you giving you a dirty look but nothing hides the eyes so i like that you said that kind of was it was a lot of this stage or location how did that uh, play i would out? say 60 uh, 70 location 30 stage 60 location 40 stage the stage okay. were very very big we, we had a lot of space in between sets and, and, and the stage was constantly aerated. Uh, the air was pushed through them so you had fresh air from outside. 
we were taking breaks every couple hours and opening the doors and aerating the stage or turning on the air, whatever, not the air conditioning, but the, the fans and things. So on those, in that sense, it was like that, but then never again, nevertheless, you end up in a closet with three actors and a cameraman, you know, and at that point, the cameraman had a shield and a, in a, in a face mask and the actors didn't. So you just try to wash your hands and be careful, you know, because I mean, you did you have multiple production designers on this? The way you had multiple directors, just one. Just one. No, one production designer, Neil Spasiak. He had our director for for different sets or for different, but he was in charge. I there was one DP and one art director, uh, production designer. So. You, but you you shot all eight, correct? Yes. Okay. I I remember we had kind of talked about on uh, the last time we spoke about revolving directors or revolving dps so i liked when they told me that you shot all eight and then when i opened the thing and i was like there's five um kind of like here's a great meal with no dessert <laughs> yeah uh, it's like oh but here's something that i noticed because i'm just a barry levinson fan he's one of the kind of i guess my age I mean, is there anything you could say about what that was like? I mean, I don't know if maybe you were a fan of Rain Man or... Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson is a legend. Uh, I always admired his work. I admire his way of defining character in movies. Um, and it was an honor and a pleasure to work with him. I, I, I would jump in the trenches for him every day I could. He, he has a clarity in a in a design in his way of shooting that it's i wouldn't say unique but it's extraordinary you know there's a clarity and an experience that allows him to to tell a story with one shot or to tell a story in one take or two takes after talking to the actors and 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 and, and, and letting them do their things you know and, and it was fantastic to see the the economy the economical way in he would block a scene that would make sense and would be impeccable. Well, plus you know? I, I loved how, I think it's a, I call it a horror film, but I love Wag the Dog. So, so Wag the Dog is one of my favorite movies. It's a horror movie, you know? And yeah. It, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> so... I just loved, I thought, I wonder how much of that was applied here. I mean, it's just, there's so much baloney and stuff going on in some of these realms that I thought this is the guy to kick off the movie or kick off the series. And, and Danny knew when he wrote that, that, that Barry was the person to, to go for this kind of story, to keep it real, but at the same time, I mean, mind you, you watch five episodes and, and, and you're missing the last three. It's a very hard story for Danny and for Michael Cuesta and Patricia Regan and Danny Strong, uh, for Barry and, and, and for the four directors, because it's basically people sitting down in a desk and talking. You know, it's not like you have the, the usual Hollywood, you know, Oh my God! Let's go and kill someone, and let's explore a building, and have Godzilla entertaining the audience. The entertainment—it's—it's about the mystery and, and, and the tragedy that is. Right. You can call it entertainment. Sorry, I, I misused right. the word. The, the 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 attention of the audience is related directly to the story and the way you tell the story, and that's what is unique about this. Well, that know? the last one I saw was so. I mean, episode five. It was so heavy duty because it was all stuff that I've only heard about. So to actually see the, you know, the pawn shop, the arguing with the parents, it was really like, I don't know, it kind of gave me those weird goosebumps that you get. And so I, what I, what I want to know is, is that I guess it kind of goes back to that subconscious thing. Like, is there ever scenes where it's kind of just unspoken that you got to get it? You don't, you don't have the time or the energy or the emotion for five or six takes. 
Well, I think there is a design in the madness. You know, Patricia Regan is known for her poignant characters. You know, she can make you cry and smile and, and laugh with, with, with a very, very tiny brush. You know, it's, it's a painting that is made of little dots. And when you step back, you connect the dots and you cry. You know, that's her forte. That's her beauty. And the selection of that director for those two episodes, five and six, where is the, the climax within the climax? You know, I thought it was very assertive. In the, in the selection of Michael Cuesta for the, for the prequel of the climax, where, where everything is going berserk and crazy, I think it was a perfect selection. And, 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 and Barry Levinson set the tone for this whole saga. And Danny, with a very strong directorial hand, will take you to the particular epilogue of this moment in life, which is a slice of life. The story hasn't been written all, you know. Uh, uh, we finish when, when they approve the, 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 the lawsuit, you know. So there's still story, you know. In the news yesterday, there was still story. So, so I think it was very well crafted in that sense. To answer your question whether you can do two or three takes of a very, the answer is no, you know. You can do maybe one or two of the big master, and if you're missing a close-up, then the actors already gave everything they had. And I'm sure they can give it again, but nobody's willing to make them go through that. Um, and uh, But yes, there is a very limited stamina for, for, for a fight, a rape, a, a death, right. you know. Well, I, what I love that you guys did, because you said Michael Keaton comes on, you see him as Dr. Rosario Dawson is her part all of you guys did such a great job of making them all seem i don't like saying talent level so i guess i would say experience level to where to my age i'm 42 so michael keaton's mr mom uh rosario dawson is respectfully she was marketed as just the beautiful woman and then she has serious acting chops but I love the way the very young actors were shot and put in the same realm like some actors that were twice their age or more. I loved what you guys did with that and just in the way you captured them and the way it was put together. Yeah, it's the rainbow of talent in this show. It's unbelievable. No? From, from Caitlin Deaver, that is this young super young, super talented actor, to her father and mother, to, to Rosario, to Peter Sasgard and, and, and John, the two lawyers. It's fascinating how they brought in not only professionalism, but they brought in jobs and they brought in new nuances to the characters, you know. It's, it's, it was extraordinarily uh, poignant do, to see. Do you have a do you have a way that because you have a shot list or maybe sometimes you don't, but I'm wondering if you see the huge moment. Um let's say Michael Keaton had had four or five shockers. Uh so if you know shocker is coming in five shots what is the process of the shots up to that huge moment? That is, that is a way every director and every actor works. So you, you, you relay on, Michael will come and say, do you mind if I do this scene first, you know? Or do you mind if I do it in order? There's some other actor that says, I don't mind whatever you want. You go and say, sorry, do you mind your big speech first or last? And some actor will tell you, I would, like at first, because I'm fresh and I know it, or some director would say to you, let's do this speech first because I want the improvisation and I want the freshness of it. And then we just do everything else later. So you have to be able to 
with some preparation and some warning, you have to be able to to accommodate those those instincts and those wills. Because I mind you, there is nothing worse for a DP than than an audience coming out and saying, "Oh my God, it looked great, but the movie sucked." You know, right. I I rather have somebody saying, "Oh." I didn't even notice the cinematography, but the movie was amazing. You know, that's when I do a good job. You know, right. Well, not to, say, I, not to say that I'm proud of my my craft or not, but my craft is part of everybody's craft. And as an audience, if you if you don't believe what you have to believe that Godzilla is about to destroy the city. If you don't believe that, then the movie is a failure. You know, right. Well, I I. I like what you were saying because sometimes when I do these shows, I'm sitting there going, I don't want to notice the production design, but I'm having to look at every part of the production design. So it's like, I don't think I was supposed to pick up on that, but I have to be able to ask about it. So I was, I do want to let you know with this show, I was slipping out of my study regimen. So you were doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much. And, and I think the production design is also, I mean, cinematographers at the end of the day, you stand in a corner, put a camera and, 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 and enjoy what the production designer has done, what the wardrobe has done, what the makeup and the actors do. And you just are there as the last patina that, that the last varnish on top of the Mona Lisa, you know, you're just that. You know, and that's where, where, I mean, you and I have been in in in, in this situation. You're scanning through a, a a TV or a screen, a screener or or, or a whatever, a streaming company, and you go, oh, this is B movie, B movie, B movie. Oh, I want to watch this one. You know, what is it? Is it the cinematography? Is it the wardrobe? Is it the performance? Is it, and, and it takes you what, five seconds to 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 go through them, and, right. and and it's a combination of all of the above. You know, it's it's a combination of of a community of creative people and artists and talent putting it together. You know. Well, this was such a what I kind of picked up on how deep it was going to get. I was really really floored. And you know me, I don't tell any guests anything they want to hear. Um, but I just thought this is such a monster, a bigger monster to do correct. Like you said, there could be, hey, we're going to kind of just like throw our opinion in here and we're going to just kind of run with it and the lawyers can fight it out later. I'm not saying you guys said that, but we know that filmmakers do it. Um so I just loved because I have have followed some of this to where I could just see and be like, yeah, that's dead on. And I like that you guys, I don't think it's a spoiler, but took us through the timetable to give us that real. Okay. There's a, there's my last question. If you had the way the timetable moves around, how did that affect your cinematography? Because say there was different furniture or there was different colors in life or life felt different in the nineties than it does now. Does that play a part in what you do? Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it's the time, the time expand of the show. It's, I think it's 15 years, 12 years. So wardrobe plays, uh, uh, I mean, the flashback doesn't go to the 1800s, let's put it that way. Uh, wardrobe <laughs> plays uh, a part, though, magic sense. Furniture plays a part in computers. Technology plays a part. I mean, at the beginning, they didn't have cell phones, and at the end, they had, or the cell phones were bigger. But in terms of cinematography, what you try and do is follow the arc of the story more than the arc of the time. It isn't that much of a flashback to be able to say, okay, I'll shoot this part black and white, you know what I mean? Um, or, or whatever. Um, right. but, but at the end of the day, you follow the arc of the story and if they're happy in 1991 and they're happy in 2003, you throw a shaft of light behind them or not to, to make 
this the audience feels sort of the warmth of the sun and if it's winter it's winter so I more think it's related to the drama itself than to a time in this particular series, which is only 15 years, you know. Right, right. That makes sense. If people were to flash back to the 1800s, then probably the approach would have been different. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess I just have that weird thing that we have in our brain where I, I guess now that now that you've answered that, it makes me realize that it's our personal for some reason, we feel like life had a different vibrancy at age 20 or <laughs> things were darker when we were 40 because we had went through some bullshit or something. Um, that's, our last, that's, your take, that's your take on that, in my take on that, but you have to make it broader for the audience because not everybody, you know, maybe somebody was darker at 15 because they were going through a divorce and at 45, they're content. So the look of their bedroom when they were 15 in terms of cinematographer to transmit it to an audience has to be grimmer than the look of their bedroom in when they're 45, when they are super content and they just invented the cure for cancer, you know? Ah, wow. I love that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Wow, that I love it. it. Well, usually it's just our own stuff, right? Um, so the last round of questions, if you have a few more minutes, um, are just something that we're doing now because we kind of want to learn more about the person as an artist. So we're just testing out these. They'll seem cheesy, but anything you don't want to answer, you know the deal. Yeah. And if you do, feel free. So... When you sit down to watch a movie, if you only have two choices, are you drama or comedy? Drama. You have the day off to go spend some time. Are you ocean or mountain? Ocean. Do you have a Do you have a favorite ocean that you've been to? Warmer. Warmer. <laughs> Not Southern California. <laughs> I like to watch it from the comfort of the beach. I grew up in South America, in Peru, where the water was very cold, like California. Okay. So I okay. had that for the first 20 years of my life. So oh, I like oh. to spend the, the, rest, the rest in the Caribbean or, or, or something a little warmer. Let's say the middle half of the earth, the middle earth. I love it. <laughs> you like to be in the middle of the earth. Yeah. Hey, that's a good place, right? Yeah. The middle is a good place in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I'm from Hawaii, so all my friends are always like, you're so spoiled with how warm the water is. And I'm just yes, like, okay. It's just, the, to me, but to me, it was always just the water. So I didn't start noticing until I went to other places. And yeah. then I was like, oh, this is what you're talking about. I'm a, one of my favorite sports is scuba diving. My, oh, okay. Scuba diving here requires 10 hours of preparation and 20 minutes of suffering. In the Caribbean, is 40 minutes of pleasure and no preparation. You just go in with a swim trunk, you know? So, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something I've always wanted to do, but I'm, I have this weird thing where I'm really afraid of deep water. So I've tried to do it before and I just get freaked out and have to get out. And I wish I could get over that because it's so, it just seems so wonderful. Yeah. Are you an LA guy or a New York guy? For when you're in America? That's a tough question. I live in LA, but I would say I'm a New York guy. New York guy, okay. Do you, do you, is, it, is it the crowds and the, maybe the mellowness, or what would, you, what would be your New York guy thing? If I were to be in an urban environment, New York, Paris, Barcelona okay. are very urban environments. You know, uh, okay. LA, it's more about your backyard, the swimming pool, the weather, and the sky you know, which I adore, but it's not a city in which one can just go out and take a walk. You know, it's very hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, because you can't be here without a car, right? So that makes sense. Yeah, or, or if you're here, it's because you want to go and hike in the mountains or the ocean. So it's, you're, and it's a very generic thing, you know, because I love LA and I've been living here for 15 years. So, but to a to a bullet point question, New York, LA, the answer is New York. 
Now, the last one, I know it could be project to project, and I'm still tinkering with this one, but do you like that buzz of walking in in the first day or the buzz of when you've just wrapped and you've gotten to create? I think they're the same buzz. One is looking at the future and one is longing at the past, but they're the uh -huh. same intensity. Oh, I love that answer. Imagine you're going to a restaurant. There is a, the expectation of this wonderful meal you're going to have. And then when you finish the meal, is the sadness that you have to walk out, you know, and you're waiting for the next meal. So right. I think it's the same intensity and happiness. It's just different feelings. Oh, okay. I love that answer because when I was crafting that, not like it took a whole lot of thought. <laughs> I, I was thinking, because someone asked me one time if I like prepping or finishing a show, and I just thought it's the same thing. So I love what you just said. Um, so with that, if there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free. No, I just wanted to thank you for, you know, when, when you're on this side of the interview, the answers are only as good as the questions are, and your questions were fantastic. So it, it led me wonder in, in realms of my thought process that are not that usual. And I thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time and especially it being how we could see this show. And, and I'm going to be there on the 13th waiting for six, seven, and eight. So I, I'm very jazzed. So thank you so much for your time and we wished you best wishes and aloha and safety during these crazy times. Same to you, my friend. All right. Take care. Bye. And uh, we want to thank Chaco for uh, coming by to talk with us about Dope Sick. Again, you guys can check that out on Hulu, October 13th. Again, I never say anything that anybody wants to hear, but you're definitely going to see this show. Um, I will let you guys know it is a little bit tough if you've been through any of this involving the op opioid crisis, uh, but we highly recommend it. Again, I've only seen five of the eight episodes, and yeah. Um, that's going to do it for us here at Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. You know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.